electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Text moment of truth. That's what March may very well be, with several stocks teetering, the Fed getting ready to raise interest rates. You know what's happening in the market at this very moment. Beyond tech, stocks are selling off once again. Let's find out who's joining us today in the investment committee for the hour with me. Bryn Talking, Indigas Wright, Josh Brown, John Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. We'll go right, of the, right to the wall, see where we are at this very moment, 12 noon in the east. We were down about 700 or so on the Dow. That's a loss of 2%. The biggest decline today uh, and maybe the most startling thing that we've seen in the market is the precipitous drop in yields. The 10-year, the high on the 10-year today was 187. The low was 168, and it's hanging around right there. So there's a general risk aversion, and you know that stocks are going to remain sensitive to everything that's happening in Ukraine. You see that through the flight uh, to safety, and not only here in the U.S., Germany, U.K., you look at bonds and what's taking place over there, and it's very much a similar picture. So, Josh Brown, what do you make of it? We're going to come in. We're going to talk about, okay, here we go into March. Has tech bottomed? we got a Fed meeting on tap not that far away. And here we are watching a market sell off yet again. Volatility reigns supreme and yields are dropping like a stone. As I've been saying for weeks, I think we're in the midst of a real bear market. I'm hoping that we're at least halfway through, uh, both in terms of time and in terms of damage. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case. But, you know, when you see uh, let me give you let me give you a quick example. We run uh, several in-house strategies and one of our strategies took significant risk off last night as the month closed. Um, You have an S&P 500 right now and a Nasdaq 100 that are uh, you've got got longer term and intermediate term moving averages flattening out and you've got shorter term moving averages like the six month and the eight month Uh, starting to be in decline. And really, none of that changes when you get a day like last Friday. So the best thing that you could say right now, I think, is that sentiment is really bad. Uh, For example, in the middle of February, uh, we had a situation where AAII bulls fell below 20 percent for the first time since May of 2016. Think about what was going on in May of 2016. Uh, It was dawning on us that Donald Trump was going to be uh, the, the Republican nominee for real, like in real life. And we were headed into Brexit. And, you know, you had serious sentiment issues in the markets. And ultimately, that resolved to the upside. And I think this one will as well. Um, so I'm not, I'm not looking for an absolute horror show from here. But it could be very choppy. It could be very treacherous. So I think what that means for long-term investors is just, you know, kind of manage your own expectations and continue to pursue your strategy. Shorter-term traders, I think you want to tighten your stops. I think you want to let a lot of setups go by and not pursue them. And I think you want to take profits a little bit more quickly than you otherwise would. And I think you'll be fine. I think you'll get through this if that's what you do. Uh, But really, there's no reason to think that this is over. Uh, The price action doesn't say that it's over. And that sentiment reading that I just gave you that leads to the types of snapbacks that we saw last Thursday and Friday, but it's very rarely sustained. So now you've got an RSI, a relative strength reading on the S&P, uh, that's like 44. Not oversold enough to get crazy bullish, um, but in the middle of no man's land, really, and, and no real trends. So that's how I see it, and I am behaving and thinking accordingly. Doc, um, perfect day to have you. Uh, I can't think of many people who are more, quote-unquote, uh, tactical short term as you and your brother and, and those who do what you do uh, for a living. What kind of trades are you seeing real time in short term duration in this market? Um, a, a really short term duration trade, Scott, is in uh, the SPY, SPY, of course, uh, the S&P 500. 
Um, the 430 puts. Now, 430 is not a critical area necessarily, but they were buying with an expiration of Monday. And the reason I think they picked that one, Scott, is the uncertainty over the weekend. Now, th that's many days away. We understand that. But those puts um, are already closing in on, they were buying the 430 puts when it was 437 this morning. Um, I bought the 437s because, as you know, I like to buy at the money and sell against it as we go in that direction. Um, I haven't sold against it yet because it looks like we might just push right down through that area pretty fast and hard. So we are seeing that. We've obviously seen the move that Josh is talking about with sentiment index, the VIX, um, moving up uh, into the multiple percent range. As you know, 32 means 2% moves a day. Um, we're not seeing that in the market yet, but that tells you people want protection um, and uh, I was with a group called the uh, Gentleman Bosses last night down here in uh, Puerto Rico, Scott, and they were asking some of the same questions as far as, well, what are we likely to see? And I said, end of the world trade only comes once. So you don't want to be on that trade and who you're going to collect from, even if you're right. So what I'm doing is whatever gets beat up the worst, I get a little more interested. But short term, Scott, it's energy, fertilizers and cryptocurrencies, because all of those Russians are using, we've seen a flood of capital from ruples, that's how I know it's Russian, into various cryptocurrencies because they're being cut off from banking systems. So because of that, tether, record volume of ruple to tether, and that's one of many so-called stable currencies that people would go for. And I think energy is just gonna fly. You saw what happened when we released from the spur. Um, that's not even three days worth of crude oil, Scott. We're going to see 120 crude so fast if this keeps getting worse over in Ukraine because the sanctions will mean that energy is not going to be flowing where it's needed right now. Well, there's no reason to believe that things in Ukraine are going to get any better, uh, certainly anytime no. soon. I mean, this is going to play out over a matter of days, if not weeks, and the markets are going to be susceptible to the same kinds of gyrations that we've witnessed and certainly the same level of volatility that is driving people into safe haven assets like government bonds. And again, whether it's here in the U.S. or Germany yep. uh, or in the U.K., and you can see those moves rather dramatically on a tick by tick and intraday basis, and sometimes within a matter of a couple of hours. And uh, I'm going to get to you, Bryn and, and Degas, in just a second. Let me bring in, though, on the phone, Mohamed El Ari, and he is uh, Allianz chief economic advisor, because he was noting uh, earlier, which I saw, Mohammed. welcome to our program. It's been a while. It's good to have you back. The dramatic move that we've seen intraday in some of the moves in German boons, gilts in the U.K., and government bonds, treasuries here in the United States. Thanks, Scott. Uh, you've got three things going on, Scott. One is, as you pointed out, the flight to quality and safety. Second is that the markets have realized that we have a significant slowdown in economic growth over the horizon. And third, we're having pockets of illiquidity. And you bring these three things together and you're getting massive moves. The move in the UK alone is the largest we've seen since 1992 on a daily basis. What does it mean about, I mean, is it all about what's happening uh, over in Ukraine, uh, Mohammed? Is that principally the story? Are we starting now to game expectations for the Fed as well? So we've started doing a few things. One is we've started to realize that there is no easy off-ramp for this strategy. Um, it's likely to get worse before it gets better. We've started to realize that these so-called oil carve-outs are not very effective and that energy prices is going to be a significant headwind to economic growth. And also we've started to realize that sentiment is going to get hit hard. So these things are happening. As to the Fed, yes, the marketplace has significantly priced, and rightly so. I, was, I never was a buyer of they're going to go eight or nine times. But we've basically down to now four or five hikes. I still think that's too high for this year. And we've, we're no longer pricing 50 basis points. So you've got everything coming together. The problem we have, Scott, is that we can no longer rely on Fed liquidity to stabilize things. This has got to stabilize with fundamentals. And that's why, if you really think about it, despite what we're seeing, the market, these markets have been relatively resilient in face of what has been unleashed by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. 
Well, you just said something that's interesting to me um, among everything that you said. Uh, four to five hikes, you say too high. So you think the market is way overshooting what the Fed is, is likely to do? And maybe we get some clues from Powell this week, who speaks over the next two days. Yeah, so entering this, the Fed was already late. It had missed the windows for proper policy adjustments, and it was going to have to make a difficult choice between two less bad outcomes. Now, it, is in a, it has a real problem, because if it confronts inflation in order to avoid it, the anchoring inflation expectation has to slam on the brakes. And that sends us into recession. If, if it wants to avoid recession and just tap the brakes, we will have a de-anchoring of inflationary expectation. Now, that's not a great choice, but given that choice, I think they're more likely to opt for the tapping of the brakes as opposed to the slamming of the brakes. And it just means that you and I are going to be talking about inflation for a lot longer than we needed to had the Fed not been so late. But what do you think Powell and the rest of the folks on the Fed are thinking today as they watch, again, not only our 10-year drop by 17 basis points in, the matter of, in a matter of hours, but again, the movement in yields globally. I think they're thinking two things. One is growth expectations are deteriorating. And two is they're worrying about the liquidity of these markets. You know, the Fed can live with price movements. What it cannot live with is market malfunction. And when you get such large moves, um, one has to start looking at how the markets themselves are functioning. So far, we're seeing pockets of illiquidity, no major market malfunction, but we need to keep an eye on this. Where, where do you see the most acute areas of, of um, malfunction, as you put it, in the market? Well, of course, it's in Russia, where the whole of the Russian markets have become totally uninvestable. Um, you can't trade anything. Bid offer spreads are incredibly wide. Um, so that, that is the, the extreme. Then come in, you're seeing issues happening in some emerging markets, especially in um, local currency. But even, I want to stress, I mean, the moves that we're seeing in the yields of the G3 are significant and suggest that there is something going on. I mean, we'll know a lot more over the next two days because we're going to get a sense for where the pain trade was. But these are significant moves, Scott. Yeah, no question about it. Um, I saw your tweet earlier regarding that, and uh, that's why we wanted to have you on. Mohammed. I appreciate your insight as always. We'll talk to you again soon. It's been good having Thank you back. Thank you. All right, that's Mohammed El-Arian. All right, Bryn, um, you heard what Mohammed said. You see what's taking place real time in the market, not only from an equity standpoint, but from a Treasury standpoint. And, um, you know, the Dow, as I last saw, was down about 730 as Mohammed and I were having that conversation. How do you see things this moment? Well, I mean, as there's, there's, there's decades where nothing happens, and then there's weeks where decades happen. And I think we all feel that right now. I think we all realize that, you know, Russia is a third world country with first world nukes. And so this is such a dicey situation. I think as it relates to the Fed, where, I mean, the Fed can always do more. We have a $9 trillion balance sheet. Why can't they go to 11? So I don't, I don't think there's a ceiling there as long as we're the reserve currency. I do think, though, that this tightrope that Jay Powell was walking down just got just doubled in size. Because as Mohammed said, growth is slowing. I think China, even if they manufacture the numbers, is going to have zero growth at their next print. U.S. growth is slowing as well. And so you and then you have, you know, the, the, the Russia situation. And so as growth comes down, the Fed has that tightrope to try to sneak in a few rate hikes. And so if they can sneak in a couple 25 basis point rate hikes, you know, over the next few months uh, or next six months, at least that gets us off zero. But my, my sense is as many hikes as they do over the next six months, probably a year from now, they take those, they take those back if the economy continues just to slow and we continue to have this issue. I mean, you know, don't forget last time the Russian ruble collapsed, the, 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 the markets collapsed. That was a great buying opportunity. And so I think as, as, as investors go, you know, you really have to, you know, as, as Josh hit on it, you know, well, know what you own, um, have high conviction ideas. And I do think that, 
you know, this 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 bear market, if we're in one, investors need to be patient because this is does, does not feel like March of 2020 when we had a you know peak to trough of 35 percent. And then a month later, we are back to the races. I do think uh, one, you know, John hit on crypto. Uh, I saw you can go to glassnode.com and, and look at the new wallets that yesterday you saw a massive spike in Bitcoin wallets holding over a thousand bitcoins. So if you think about that, if Bitcoin's at 40,000, that's, you know, 40 million per wallet and you saw a massive spike. And so I definitely think, you know, you know, crypto as a, as a silver lining is getting a, is getting a bid here as that flight to safety as central banks, you know, continue to, you know, shut down their citizens' ability to, ca- to get that money. Yeah. I mean, it's clear we're in a bear market at this point. It's a matter of how long, Degas, it's, it's going to last and potentially how much steeper it gets. Now, we're, we're still a ways away, I should let everybody know as well, from the February 24th intraday lows on uh, all sorts of, of different indices. So we've recovered nicely from the bottom of what we think may be the bottom, Degas, but where does it leave us as we enter a new trading month? Yes, yeah, Scott, the market does not like uncertainty, and the Ukraine uh, issue is really that uncertainty. The, you know, this heinous uh, aggression of uh, Russia into Ukraine really brings in that uncertainty. And what we start looking at is the sanctions. So we, as many other investors did uh, yesterday, we went through all our holdings, our international holdings, to see what was impacted, what had uh, a um, impact with the Russia. And so what we found is that obviously we're looking at energy companies and our international strategies and also our banks. That was what was impacted on the international side. But when we looked at U.S., U.S. has very limited exposure to the Russian economy. And this is really important that we realize that what we're seeing in our markets today with the weakness in the markets are, are, is really short term because we looked at a couple of stocks that we hold. For instance, PepsiCo had exposure to uh, selling uh, about $3 billion of their revenue comes from Russia. So PepsiCo took a hit, for instance. Morgan Stanley took a hit because they have investment uh, banking with uh, VTB Capital, a Russian-based bank. So as you look at this short term, there's going to be this impact of the markets. But what I'm really concerned about is what's referred to as the peace dividend. Is that being impacted now or will it be impacted as we have to now start looking at spending more for defense? We heard about Germany and other European countries increasing their defense spend. Will that also occur here in the U.S.? And that could indicate that our markets may go lower from this point because we're taking away that peace dividend. So we have to be very careful. As Bren just indicated, you want to start looking at your portfolio and be patient through this cycle. What are we what are we to make, Josh? And I'm looking uh, over at my fact set right now and my screen at J.P. Morgan. One thirty five twelve is where that stock is trading. The banks are getting absolutely obliterated. So J.P.M. is putting in a new 52 week low as we're having this conversation. And that's been really a point of pain. So many of the financial stocks, this one included, which I can't remember off the top of my head if you actually own at the current time. But I know you have have had that one in the past. Yeah, I own it. I've owned I've owned it for years and I have no uh, I have I have no plans to do anything with that position. However, this is part of this idea of just understanding where we are in the market and what you're going to have to put up with. Um, And and if you're a long term investor, you've already done this many, many times before. So the details are different, but it's really never the same. He who reacts uh, with with the least amount of emotion on the other side usually comes out ahead of people who weren't able to do that. So uh, in the case of J.P. Morgan and really any multinational financial company, the reverberations of what took place over the weekend with uh, the SWIFT stuff and just this concept that Russia thought they were stealing themselves against run-in-the-mill sanctions. They stockpiled $630 billion uh, in, in reserves, and now they can't touch those reserves. So this, this ball game has gone well ahead of where most people would have expected it to go. The U.S. had to pull Germany back. Can you imagine that uh, in, in terms of uh, what they wanted to do with sanctions? So that's where we are. You should not be surprised to see multinational banks 
in the in the eye of the storm uh, or or right at the heart of the of the matter. But I think it's temporary. J.P. Morgan is not deriving you know any noticeable percentage of their revenue in Ukraine in Russia. Um, but yeah, there's going to be some sensitivity. Look. I have a call scheduled tomorrow with one of the largest asset managers in the country. And in no uncertain terms, I'll be telling them that their emerging markets fund has to flatten all positions related to the Russian Federation to 0% or we're gone. We're not having our client cash be invested in those types of stocks. We are an ant if you think about the size of the financial services industry. Conversations like that are taking place all over the globe between financial intermediaries like myself and asset managers, um, institutions, banks, and it's not going to be done in two days. I wish it were that simple. So you should buckle up if if you're involved in any of these stocks, which most people are. I mean, J.P. Morgan hasn't really been the same or hasn't been itself since it reported earnings, right? I mean, that was the first and the worst, and the stock has not been the same, um, Dr. J, ever since. I'm wondering if there's a broader message in what's happening within the bank stocks as to the kind of question we would once ask about tech in terms of the larger picture. If the banks can't stabilize to some degree, can the overall market find its own stability? Well, uh, and my answer, Scott, would be it can and it has in the past. Um, I don't know that banks go a lot further, uh, but We've, we've had massive TLT buying. As you know, this is that 20-year bond, and it's the ETF for the 20-year bond. Um, buying of that bond, uh, ETF means that you bet that interest rates are going down. Um, there have been leveraged bets for the last 10 days, getting bigger every day. Um, so to Goldman Sachs or anybody else that sees seven rate hikes this year, um, not happening. And then they added to it, Scott, they added... Uh, 2023 to that mix for an eighth hike, uh, not happening. None of those kinds of things are going to happen in the face of what we're all talking about right now. So I think smart people are out there buying those TLTs and other interest rate plays that are bets that rates go down um, rather than up. And that's certainly been playing out. Shoot, we've moved 30 basis points in two trading sessions. Um, I think in all likelihood, I, I saw the, uh, a number of these, uh, the German rate went negative again. I think, you know, for anybody thinking that we're going to see a regime where interest rates go higher for longer, not happening. And just one more quick thought, Scott, when we've got uh, uh, this sort of uh, worries on the horizon, you're not going to see uh, companies borrowing money. Um, they borrow money because they can and when it's cheap. So that could happen again in the not too distant future. But if you have uh, people worried about war, they're not going to be hiring, um, not nearly as fast. They're not going to be borrowing money and building plants and all the rest. They're going to hunker down. Traditionally, go back 100 years. That's what they've done. So the quicker this could be over, obviously, we would all be a lot happier. But I don't see this seeing a quick end, at least not right now, Scott. So let's bring in Steve Leisman. Um, he's been listening, I hope, to our conversation. I've been thinking about him, too, as we were having, Steve, the conversation with Mohammed El Arian, who suggested that even four to five hikes this year is too many in his book. And we've gone seemingly from the most extreme, at least seven or so in the expectation to where we find ourselves today. And that move that we've all been watching in yields globally. How do you see that? Well, I was just at the moment there, uh, Scott, calculating uh, where we were, and it looks like you could say five hikes priced in, I guess, at this point, down from, I don't know, six. It's not that big a move in the Fed funds market just yet, but the decline in interest rates is telling you that there's some sense, I think. Well, look, you, you have to be careful, and I'm sure Mohammed talked about this. I'm sorry I missed his interview. He's always brilliant. But the idea that you have a fight to safety, you have money that's looking for uh, different um, uh, homes right now than, than, than it was in before, uh, and it could be Russian money as well looking for uh, a, a, a port of safety. And so uh, I would not at this moment take too much in the way of macro calls from the market from what is a, a flight to safety. You've seen the dollar strengthen. Let me take a look. It was 97 the last time I looked at it. Uh, that's another flight to safety issue. Um, 
It complicates the Fed's job, uh, which I'm assuming is your next question. Yeah. And that I think the Fed wants uh, financial conditions to tighten. It's getting some of that in the market today. Uh, it wanted higher interest rates overall to help slow the economy. Uh, but perhaps there's also some decline in economic activity that comes with what's happening globally on the geopolitical well, that, situation. Well, that's the problem, right? Um, it, it wants conditions to tighten a, a little bit. It doesn't want con- <clears throat> conditions to choke and to get choked because it's right. becoming too tight. I think that's right. Um, and I thought when you said the word choke, you were talking about what might have happened in financial markets as a result of uh, you know, uh, the, the, the sanctions on the Russian banks or perhaps uh, what's happening with the Russian central bank and, and the freezing of their assets. I think a bit of good news there is, and I keep trying to make this distinction. I know it's hard for people when you see the Dow down, whatever it's down now, 700 points or so. Um, that's okay by the Fed, and the reason is because the trade is proceeding orderly. You do not hear stories of trades being uh, the trading being gummed up, uh, that there has been no sort of systemic issue, and I think there was some concern of that over the weekend. And so, uh, yeah, the market's down, and interest rates are down, and, and stocks are down, but you do not have uh, a gumming up of the financial works. I think that's really important here uh, to note. But, yeah, on the overall situation, the Fed wants somewhat higher rates to slow things down. Uh, and I don't think any of this changes the Fed's outlook for the next several meetings. I think it's a quarter, a quarter, a quarter. And this has been my take all along. I think it's going to raise, you know, probably get to 1% and look around, maybe start some balance sheet reduction there. I, I don't see any downside to that, Scott, because the economy is so much stronger now than it was. The job market's so much tighter uh, that, that if you went to a 1% funds rate, I don't think the uh, august guests on your panel here would be running for Well, let me ask you this then. Um, What would have to happen to change the Fed's path? And to what degree do we learn about really anything tomorrow? Let's not forget, tomorrow Powell speaks on the Hill in the semi-annual testimony, and it's two weeks to the day when he's largely expected to raise rates, as you say. You know... Show me a three-handle on inflation, even a four-handle, given that we've been at seven. And the Fed might say, whoa, wait a second, things are coming down more quickly than I expected. But I don't believe the Fed anticipates that uh, inflation will be declining until sometime in the summer. Uh, And in fact, what's happening now in Russia and Ukraine threatens even higher inflation, both in higher oil prices and in um, uh, potentially higher food prices, given that uh, Ukraine is a major supplier of wheat. Those are two key key things, Scott. And I think I've said this before on this show, which is a key indicator for inflation that I'd be watching and for Fed policy is what happens to the rig counts. They've been going up. Uh, there uh, are some notions out there that you could have an increase of supply. Perhaps Iran is, bought on, is brought on line more quickly sometime this year. Uh, that would change the dynamic right now. But at the moment that we speak, when you look at oil going up to 103, all of this promises higher inflation prints down the road. And all of that tells me the Fed is going to go forward with rate hikes rather than stopping because of geopolitical uncertainty or what's happening with uh, interest rates right now. Well, look at that April contract on WTI as, as we're having this conversation north of 105. Yeah. Uh, yep. It's better than 10 percent yeah. move yeah. in the session. It's, it's, it's stunning. Absolutely stunning. Steve, I appreciate you and turning it, it, the lights on. It's problematic on. also because it comes it comes after the uh, uh, announcement that uh, there will be releases from the strategic petroleum reserve. That is not, I'm imagining, the uh, response in the oil markets that the Biden administration hoped for. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for getting in the chair. I appreciate it. Uh, that's Steve Leisman joining sure. the conversation. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. More widely followed market voices weigh in on the sell off, which we're all over. There you go. Dow's down 636. That's not the worst level of the session. It's still more than one and three quarters percent. And, and yes, we're watching 10 year note yield uh, very closely. 170 is where we are at the moment. We're back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. 
This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Ukraine's emergency agency says that a Russian attack on Kyiv's TV tower has killed five people. Video of the apparent missile strike has surfaced, and you can see a fireball there rising near the base of the tower. A senior U.S. defense official says that the latest attacks show a shift in Russian tactics after they failed to achieve a quick victory in Ukraine. The official also says that Russian forces are struggling with shortages of food and fuel as a 40-mile-long convoy approaches Kyiv. Moments ago, Ukrainian President Zelensky tweeted that he spoke to President Biden today about sanctions on Russia and defense assistance for Ukraine. A White House statement on the call is expected soon. And some oil refiners and ethanol producers are challenging vehicle emission rules from the Environmental Protection Agency. They say that the new rules will effectively mandate the use of electric power in cars rather than internal combustion engines. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel. I appreciate that. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. Let's bring in Pete Najarian now. He joins us on the phone because he's making a move in the sell-off. Pete, what are you doing? Well, it's American Express, Scott, and this is a name that had a really great month. I mean, they really outperformed the rest of the financials, but it also started to stretch in in terms of comparisons of where its valuation has been in the past to where it is now. It actually stretched up towards 20 on the P.E., and it was uh, normally it's right around 12, 12 and a half, something closer to that for global payments. We all understand what's going on, obviously, in the global scheme of things right now. So this name might be under a little bit of pressure. It's already pulled back a little. But we've got a pretty substantial buyer today in here of 10,000 of the April 160 puts. Now, stocks trading well above that level, but they're looking for a little bit more of a pullback than we've already gotten off of the high. So I think that's something that makes a lot of sense to me as well. It got in front of itself. Maybe it gets a pretty decent pullback. It doesn't have to get all the way down there, but if it starts pressing to the downside, these options ought to move in a hurry. And they're a little bit over $3. They actually bought it as a as a put spread, Scott. They were buying the 160s, selling the 150 puts. So basically a $10 spread that they were paying just a little over a dollar for that spread. So it's, it makes sense from a risk-reward perspective for me as well. What do you make, Pete, of the overall activity in the banks? As I look right now, thanks to Gina Francola and our markets desk, the KBE and the KRE are now on pace for their worst day since November 21st of 2021. Yeah, um, well, it's understandable, and we know which banks have that much more exposure to what's going on, obviously, globally, it's particularly talking about Russia. And when you look at J.P. Morgan and you see the reaction of that stock over time, it, it, it makes some sense. By the way, this is a name that, I, you know, for a long time we've talked about price to book and what that really means. And from another, again, a, 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 from a valuation perspective, Scott, this was a stock that was well over two times book. So versus something like a Bank of America that was had been trading at about one times book. So if you're just looking at that and forget the, the Russia part of this piece, you can understand if you put up a chart of Bank of America versus J.P. Morgan over the last year, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. The outperformance of Bank of America versus J.P. Morgan is very, very clear. And I think it's because J.P. Morgan had reached these levels where it had been when it got up and above that 160. Now it's actually pulled back significantly. And at some point, it probably becomes a buy. But I think that right now, you, you, you're, you're going into murky water if you're looking at J.P. Morgan right now because we're just finding out more and more about exactly what all the sanctions and what might be happening from a banking perspective in Russia. And so that's, that's clearly going to be something that's going to play out over time as well. Yeah, as real time as it gets. Pete, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for calling in. That's Pete Najarian joining us on the hotline. Um, Josh Brown, you have, you have an interesting move that really piqued my interest because of where I thought that we may start the program today by discussing the move in tech and, and where it may go this month. 
what stocks had become attractive enough to buy. And you had said on this program, I believe when Facebook, now Meta, was 208, that you would get interested, even though you don't like the company itself, but that you would get interested in the stock at 200 bucks, if not sub 200, in which you did. You bought it on February 24th when it, I think, went below 200, 190s and, and, and change. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Now I've come to find that you sold it. That stock has had a move above that level and you sold it. Yeah, I, well, I backed into it with a, a, a very far out of the money um, buy limit. I got it uh, probably around 190 and change and I got out this morning with almost 20 points. So I... I, I don't really have a strong view on, on Meta. I think, it's, I think it's a dirt cheap stock at this point based on fundamentals, but um, the market doesn't necessarily care as much about fundamentals. So I didn't really feel compelled to want to keep it. Um, and going into it, I said, this is not like a high conviction thing. I have a bunch of these out there, several other stocks I'm hoping to buy at lower levels. Uh, my, my level on Netflix is getting close, Disney, Lululemon, Moderna. Uh, not all of those will be long-term forever positions. Some of them will just end up being trades, and Meta was one of them. It just makes me look at the amount that mega cap tech particularly has dropped from the 52-week high. Apple holding up better than most, down 9.5% from its 52-week, or its recent. Um, Microsoft 14.5, Alphabet 10.5, Amazon 18.5, NVIDIA 31 and Meta has been, been 45. I know Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator, has been looking at the NASDAQ. And I loved the way you looked at it. And I think it was, if not yesterday, the day before, which made me look up and, and asking the question as to whether the NASDAQ is getting close to, if not sold out, so to speak. There's just no more stock to sell. Yeah, I mean, look, obviously parts of it probably are. Maybe you could make the case that with these uh, kind of retested low from late January, that at least maybe the majority of individual stocks have certainly seen most of the downside. What's tough, though, is what's going on right now with this bit of a comeback in uh, the hardest hit parts of tech and speculative growth. It's indistinguishable between a reflex bounce and something that's more durable as a bottom, because it's always going to start this way uh, with people leaning too hard on the short side, violent rallies uh, and all the rest. Now, big picture valuation wise, what the Nasdaq 100 has done is simply start to give up a lot of the valuation premium it built up two years ago. Uh, so we, we peaked around 31 times forward earnings for the NASDAQ 100. Now we're down to about 25. The peak uh, in this cycle before the pandemic was 24. So, right, so you're not cheap even based on pre-pandemic levels. And so the question is how much of that has to be wrung out uh, from here on. It's never going to happen in a straight line, as you know. Uh, and I do think it's interesting that you're starting to see things like the cloud stocks, things like Zoom today. It's not really selling off that much on a disappointment, but it's down 70-plus percent. Uh, from those highs. So one final point is when you do get this kind of massive momentum break and a leadership sector like big cap growth really loses position as a, as a bellwether group, as a leadership group, it's rare that it comes out of it as the leader again, right? It usually takes a while to repair and there's other parts of the market that are better positioned for that. So that's really the, the kind of bigger picture historical path. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah. Yeah, I, Michael, I think you're I think you're exactly right. And I want to point out something very interesting that could be meaningful as we get further into 2022. Um, Bank of America's quants are out with a note about how last week uh, retail investors, what they call their private clients, bought the dip with a vengeance. Huge yeah. buying from the retail segment as opposed to corporate buybacks or hedge funds or institutions. But. The interesting twist is they weren't doing that with ETFs, uh, which is what you would normally see. They were doing that with individual stocks. And I don't know if Savita has, has cracked the code on this yet, why that's taking place. I'll help. The reason they're doing this with individual stocks is because this year's big winners are tiny in the index ETFs. They're oil companies. They're, yeah. they're materials plays. They're commodity plays. So retail investors that want to play what's working, the ETF ain't going to help them. It's not going to help you to buy big cap tech and big cap consumer discretionary. That's why you're seeing this return to stock picking and you're seeing retail come in at the single stock level. They want to be in Freeport. 
They want to be right. in, in uh, the drillers and, and the transmission names. So I found that very interesting. And if that continues throughout the course of the year, then when, what Michael is talking about will, will remain true, which is that it might be really hard to imagine the former leaders of, of the bull market regaining their glory and being as important as we go forward. Quick last word, Mike. Yeah, just a related point. Vast, massive inflows into one category of ETFs, which is commodity-related ETFs, off a very low base. So that has been the migration right. uh, so far right now. All right, good stuff, Michael. We'll see you later on this afternoon on the closing bell. That's Mike Santoli. All right, we're going to take another quick break. Ed Yardeni is in the wings. Plus, Bryn has made a move out of the, well, it's in the ARC complex. I'm going to tell you what stock she's no longer in. We'll do it next. Welcome back. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I told you we're going to get to a move by Bryn uh, in the ARC complex, and we're going to do that in a minute. But take a look at shares of Foot Locker today, which are down 8%. It got a big downgrade today. It's interesting to us because one member of the investment committee bought it recently and is on the phone now. Jenny Harrington is the CEO of Gilman Hill Asset Management. Jenny, it's good to have you here. Look, I mean, anytime you know, someone on the committee does something in a stock, certainly in, in recent history, the likelihood is that maybe some people have followed you into this name. It got double downgraded today to underweight from overweight at Barclays. A lot of it related to Nike. You bought the stock on February 25th. What now? Right. I bought it. Yeah, I bought it on Friday morning. Sorry, I bought it on Friday afternoon. It fell like a gift from heaven into my lap on Friday morning. So here's what I heard Friday morning. I heard Foot Locker just increased their dividend to $1.60, which gave it a yield of 5.8%. I heard they were buying back or they'd authorized a buyback of 1.2 billion shares, dollars worth of shares. Uh, market cap at that point was just over $2 billion. I heard that they lowered earnings. Earnings last year were $7.77. They lowered them to a range of four and a quarter to four and three quarters. So that way more than covered the yield. So to me, I said, all right, clear the decks. Let's do some work. Let's figure out what's really going on because the valuation alone is super compelling. And what we found was Foot Locker has clearly been a, a major beneficiary of the pandemic. And you see their earnings were always in that like $4 range, mid $4. They were super consistent. They ran way up at, during the pandemic. Shares ran up alongside them. All the analysts loved them. They all you know, had them at buys. They loved them at $63 a share. They loved them at $40 a share. And all of a sudden, they, they you know, revised numbers downwards, and we get to take a real peek. So what we found was a company that was super financially stable, trading at six times earnings, again, with this at the point in time of 5.8% um, dividend yield. Now that's down to about 5.5%. So we ended up entering the shares, um, entering into the shares in the afternoon of Friday. And it's been, I think, a really great investment and will continue to be. And it's interesting to look at the downgrades today because there's nothing from those downgrades that that is new from Friday. That's just, it takes the analyst community some time. And so I look at that and I think to myself, all right, they're not telling me anything new today. I digested what they're telling me today. I digested all that on Friday and got in. One of the nice things today is if people do want to buy it, it's you know it was up, I think, about um, 5% from where we bought it on Friday. It was mm -hmm. up 5% in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Then it was up about 8% and change yesterday. Okay. Now you're down 8%. So you can still get in. There's still time. Goldman has also downgraded it today. And by the way, as part of the Barclays downgrade, quite a dramatic price cut to $24 from 50 Eight. Jenny, I got to bounce. Uh, I got something else I got to get to, but I appreciate you uh, being on. You're on Thursday. We'll continue the conversation there. That's Jenny Harrington. I appreciate Thanks. it. Now to Bryn and this move out of Zoom, which I find interesting, um, Bryn, on a number of different levels. 
So the stock is 71% off of its 52-week high, but 11% off of its February 24th low, which says to me, and you can argue with me if you want, and that's perfectly fine and your prerogative to do so, that a stock that was getting absolutely smothered has had a nice little bounce, so you take your money and get out now while you can with a little bit of a bounce. Yeah, well, I just bought it. So I bought it in like the high 140s as a trade. And Zoom has around a 28 PE, maybe a little bit lower as of today. They're growing. What, I, what, I, what they've been talking about and what I just can't get my arms around in terms of how they continue to increase their subscription model is I feel like they're really leaning into their Zoom phone, which is a hardware device and also international growth. So I think those are really good potentials. But right now, as a trade, when there's so many companies in this high growth space that are down 50, 60, 70 percent, I'm going to be, you know, as a trade, very critical. And I would rather just look elsewhere right now. So I just close, this, close the position out. So That's it was quick, just a, a trade that I did. That's quick, though, for but you. That's what a trade is. Yeah, no, I know. But, right? uh, you know, well, I mean, uh, so, so your last a, name's right. not Nigerian. Yeah. Well, so, well, so you know what I, I think, though, is that I think oh. that I would rather I would rather wait for energy stocks to come down, maybe the keys to come down and put that money back into there. But once again, you can be really discerning with these stocks that are down because there's so many to pick from. So I don't want to stick around and wait to see if they execute on the Zoom phone. I'd rather just look around and buy some other companies that I feel more confident about their same business model that they're executing that the market's not not highlighting right now. All right. Well, I appreciate it. There's a there's a stock Zoom today down about four percent. We're breaking, then we're coming back. Unusual activity is on the other side. Plus, don't miss CNBC's special coverage of the president's State of the Union address, anchored by Shepard Smith. Coverage kicking off tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern. We're back in two minutes on the half. All right, let's do a quick couple of minutes with Ed Yardeni, who's been waiting patiently. He's the president of Yardeni Research. Ed, what are you watching closely or most closely today? Equities are that dramatic move in yields. Well, honestly, I'm watching the news uh, just to see how things are progressing in the Ukraine. And uh, things are getting uglier. Uh, but in some ways, the uglier they get, the greater is the likelihood that uh, there'll be some negotiated uh, ceasefire and maybe even solution to this thing sooner rather than later. But I'm clearly watching the bond market, too, along with everybody else. And just uh, very impressed by uh, how this bond yield has come down, showing a tremendous amount of risk aversion. And uh, clearly, uh, a lot of Russians are scrambling to get into Bitcoin. Maybe some of them still have accounts where they can actually uh, transact and are buying the bonds. Uh, but um, I, I think uh, we've all been saying for the past several months here, really since the beginning of the year, that uh, we're probably going to have a very volatile market this year. And that's exactly what we have. So we shouldn't really be too surprised by the kind of uh, action we've had uh, in, in recent days. It's actually been holding up uh, relatively well in the face of uh, uh, the the war talk and now the the actual war and uh, the escalations that have been going on has the fed calculus changed absolutely i i have to believe that uh i i never was in the camp of the you know six seven eight uh increases i thought we'd get four but i think even that might be uh, of, of some question i think what really changes is they may actually decide just not to talk about the runoff or just to say that they're going to uh let the Securities that mature will be re, uh, re, rebought. So I, I think that uh, the, the focus of the Fed is going to be on the Fed funds rate. I agree with Steve Leisman that they probably will do a quarter point increase at the March meeting and maybe a quarter point after that. Uh, but uh, inflation has certainly gotten worse. And this is very deja vu reminiscent of uh, the Cold War. It's almost like Cold War II, uh, where uh, we have to consider the, the fact that uh, uh, the end of globalization or major impediments to globalization uh, do present uh, inflationary issues. One other point I want to make on an optimistic note is that forget about what I'm looking at. It's more important is what the Chinese are looking at. And I got to believe the Chinese have really been uh, uh, taken uh, aback by the uh, world uh, reaction against the Russians, turning them into uh, global pariahs. And so the only good news, at least for, for today, might be that uh, the Chinese might uh, re rethink any plans they have for invading Taiwan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ed, I appreciate it. Um, we'll talk to you again soon for sure. That's Ed Yardeni. I appreciate you. you. 
uh, hanging out with us for a few moments. Up next, we'll do John's unusual activity. And, of course, we still have final trades to come as well. All right, Dr. J, you've been patient. Unusual activity, what do you have for us today? Well, Scott, I talked at the top of the show about uh, how fertilizer prices, energy, and all the rest are going to push food prices higher, among other things. Uh, Pilgrim's Pride, PPC, we see some big activity, 10,000 of the September 25 calls. None of us want to be paying more, but maybe if you buy some of these calls, you can offset some of the higher costs, Scott. Second trade, take a look at IGT. Again, just out in Vegas last week, these guys get royalties for every time their slots are used out there. And March 26 calls with the stock just under 26. Somebody bought almost 10,000 of those. I joined in both of these stocks today, Scott, and I'll probably be in them about a month. Give me a final trade, too, Doc, because I understand you've got something else that you're doing in the market. Sure. Uh, Just saw some strong activity in uh, SLV, the silver ETF. They bought 25,000 of the May 25s. I bought the 23s because they're more the at the money, and I hope to sell those higher strikes against it as it rallies. Okay, thank you. Adigas, I understand we have a new buy for you as well, and that's why we have the BHP Group Limited on the screen right now. Tell me about that and why. Why, exactly. Uh, BHP Group is an Australian-based mining company that's benefiting from the increasing commodity prices. Commodity prices uh, around copper, iron ore, coal, and also potash. And so it's doing really well. It has strong free cash flow and a dividend yield of 13%. All right. I appreciate that. Bryn? That final trade is the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. It's trading at a 25, around 25% discount to its NAV. If they ever get an ETF, that discount will move right towards the NAV. And there's Dutch bros to our bro, Josh Brown. Yeah, I did some channel checks. They don't sell nothing in in Europe or in Russia. It's like mostly Arizona. (laughs) I think the stock will be okay. This is a stock that you've owned for a while, yeah? Yeah, it, it's, it's fine. Holding up really well. All right. Let's show you uh, the market averages, uh, if we could, as well, as we approach the end of our program today. It's obviously been a, a tough session for stocks. The Dow was down by greater than 700 points, a smidge more than that. It's come off the lows. It's still down about 560. It's one and two-thirds percent. S&P, NASDAQ also remain under pressure. It's that 10-year note yield that's gone from about 187 to 168. It's recovered a little bit off that level, but incredibly important to watch. I know you will. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.